All right, welcome back to our study of Revelation. We're going to cover chapters 17 and 18 in, in this uh, installment, and then we'll go to chapter 19 with our next installment. We're in the home stretch here in Revelation, just a few more chapters after this, so let's dig in. Remember, we're now witnessing the beginnings of the final battle in Revelation. We've seen heaven. We have seen the throne room of God. We have seen predictions about um, uh, disease and war and, and, and really about persecution. And we have seen the power of Rome, the empire, and the evil that it has brought on its people, and particularly on first century Jews and Christians. And we have seen God warning, I'm coming, my patience is wearing thin, and when it's gone, I will, I will destroy you. I will bring you down. It's not going to happen right away, but it will happen. And that destruction is going to be earth-shaking. It's going to hurt people. Not just Rome will be destroyed, but an empire will fall. And when that empire falls, other people will be affected negatively, even some of God's people. Um, I remind you that we said last week, there are going to be times when God moving sometimes disrupts our life. Sometimes Christians have been collateral damage in the work of God. That is not because God doesn't care. It's because we're not the point of the story. We are a part of the story, but we're not the point of it. And God will, there were lives disrupted by the fall of Rome um, negatively, but God had to repay the evil that that empire was doing. So we saw this wrath being poured out in chapter 16, uh, and we went over that last time, this, uh, this wrath that is coming out, the hailstones, right? And now this, this 17 is a little bit PG here, okay? So uh, let's, let's dig in. It's chapter 17, verse 1 of Revelation. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came to me and said, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of, those, of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. Um, a lot of imagery here. First of all, we have a prostitute. And all the kings of the earth have been engaged in activity with this prostitute. And they have become intoxicated by the wine of this prostitute. Now, in literal terms, of course, this is figurative. These are signs and visions. Uh, we understand this. But uh, this is the embodiment of the sin of the world that we're about to see. It's the embodiment of the sin of this empire. You have all these kings, right, the, these, that, that are subject to Rome. They all govern their, pro like Herod, right? And it's going to be referenced here, but, but there's all these kings over all these nations and tribes and, and places. But they're all under Rome, and they all pay their loyalty to Rome, and they cozy up to Rome. We sometimes define words in Scripture by our own definition, and Merriam-Webster um, wasn't concerned with the Greek or the context when he wrote his dictionary, so we need to understand their meaning. But when we see the term adultery, uh, we think of that as married people who are engaged in sexual activity together with people they're not married to, right? Uh, fornication, similarly, is, is sexual activity between people who are not married. Um, that's our definition in our language. Adultery 
um, in, in biblical terms, in Semitic culture, would have been the entanglement with other powers, okay, other authorities, making covenants with people outside of the covenant you already have. Now, that's similar, right? That's a similar kind of thing when we put it in a marriage context. But adultery is entering into promises and relationships with other nations. These kings had effectively been committing adultery with Rome because they were entering into agreements and alliances with this foreign power for the sake of their own enrichment, for the sake of their own power. And they were living it up and enjoying the, the benefits and the riches that come and the protection that comes from being under Rome, all the while their people suffered. So they had become completely intoxicated on the results of this relationship. That's what we're talking about here, okay? Verse 3, And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. All right, Whew. boy, what an image. Here is this woman adorned like a prostitute, covered in riches, gold, um, on this beast, and a cup full of sin and impurities. She's holding the sins of this great empire. All of the awful, horrible, disgusting deeds that they were participating in and that others were participating in in order to gain some loyalty or to be seen as loyal um, and drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, reveling in and becoming intoxicated on the murder of Christians and the destruction of people of faith. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. All right. So we're going to get an explanation of what all this is, right? Well, tell me if you think this is very clear. The beast that you saw, verse 8, was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. Uh, this calls for a mind with wisdom. No kidding. Verse 9. Um what does this mean it is and it is not and it is to come? Um, the fall of Rome did not happen all at once. It didn't just end one day. It took hundreds of years, um, beginning really with Julius Caesar. when um, and, and that was a time when they were still really a republic. And the Senate had quite a great deal of power. From that point on, you have a lot of power struggle. You have a lot of Game of Thrones kind of stuff going on with uh, children poisoning their parents and then their brothers and so on and so forth. And progressively more and more evil and power hungry and unrestrained uh, evil, dictatorial kind of um, tyrannical attitudes and more um, craving of deity. They wanted to be gods, not just emperors. And so we see that growing out of Rome and, and over and over and over again. Um, starting as early as a few hundred years before Jesus comes on the scene, all the way up until 
over a thousand years later, Rome is attacked, it is occupied, it is burned, all of the, over and over and over. And you can look at the different groups that did it, the Visigoths, the Vandals, what have you, the, the, the Normans uh, as well later. Um, it's not a quick death for Rome. It is, it is not, and it is coming. Make sense? Maybe. Um, and so, the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it is and is not and is to come. Verse 9, this calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Rome was very uh, well known as a city on seven hills. Okay, So this is a very direct and clear reference to Rome. There, by the way, you might have seen some... Um, analysis of this particular passage that this woman, this prostitute, is the Roman Catholic Church. Um, and I, I suppose there's some parallels there. You know, they look at the, the, the ornate uh, jewelry and the gold and, the, you know, the, the robes and all of that. And the entanglement of religion with the state and political powers, which certainly was a part of the Roman Catholic Church in different parts of its history. Um, the problem with that is, why? Why would God give visions to someone to write down, to share with the people of the late first century, something that wasn't going to be a problem for them for like 300 more years? It just doesn't make any sense. It's probably not the Catholic Church. It looks like we're talking about Rome. Uh, indeed, we are. Uh, so, this... Um, this beast, the seven heads, it's the seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are, uh, they are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come, and when he does come, he must remain only a little while. Historically, this would have been accurate. We're talking about some of the emperors of Rome, and there were some that had died, and some that were still coming, and some that would be there for just a bit. The couple that were after Julius Caesar were just in and out real quick. We don't even really, you know, think about them. In fact, some historians don't even consider them to have been emperors. Uh, but the people of this time would have known who we're talking about, and the math works out. You had the, um, you, you have it just like it says: one who, five of whom have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, and he's just going to be there for a little bit. As for the beast, verse eleven, that was and is not, it is an eight, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is lord of lords and king of kings, and those with him are called the chosen and faithful. We're talking about the subjected kings to Rome, the provincial kings, kings like Herod, who were recognized as kings, but that gave their loyalty and allegiance to Rome and received benefit for it. Uh, these are kings, but they're 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 only in it for their own power. And the minute they get a chance, they're going to want to seize power. So as much as they are in with the beast, so to speak, <laughs> they are very much um, out for themselves. And that's going to be the destruction of all of this, ultimately. Uh, and so you have this woman, the embodiment of all the sins of this empire atop the beast, which is Rome. And by the way, look back to 
Revelation 13, look back to Daniel chapter 7, we see the same beast, okay? This beast is here. Um, verse 15, the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. We know that because we see the waters and the crystal waters and the water like glass throughout Revelation. This is the people, the nations, the languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they, are the, uh, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. But see, these kings, they don't want to stay subjected to this woman and to this beast. They're going to destroy this woman. They're going, they're, they're going, God is going to use them for the purpose of destroying this woman, and there's going to be a lot of pain and a lot of destruction coming the way of Rome. And in fact, it's interesting, when I was in college, we had a study abroad program that went, a couple, a couple three of them that went to Europe, one to England, one to Italy, Florence, Italy, and the other to, uh, to Greece. And a lot of my friends who went on those programs would travel to Rome, and they would go and see the ruins of Rome. Christians, I went to a Christian university, Harding University in Arkansas, and my friends, Christians, taking selfies in front of the ruins of this once great city that persecuted our brethren. Jesus won. God won. It just took a while. Uh, but when they fell, they fell hard, and a lot of destruction came with it. Let's, uh, let's go through chapter 18 here. I'm going to do so fairly briefly, um, and, then, and then we'll wrap this one up as we're already nearing the 15-minute mark. Verse 1 of chapter 18, After I saw this, another angel came down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory, and he called out with a mighty voice. Okay, I don't know why our vision of what an angel looks like is a little strange, okay? Uh, we think of the you know, sweet little harp playing, almost childlike looking. And this probably comes from a medieval uh, viewpoint that arose because so many people were dying, and particularly so many children and infants were dying uh, during that time, that there arose this belief that when we die, we become angels. Uh, this, this gives a lot of comfort to people who are losing children and loved ones. It's probably not very realistic, and it's certainly not true because the Bible tells us that when we die, we become greater than angels. We become, Paul says, something that has not yet been. Uh, so we are a new thing, uh, and the angels serve us. But the most common thing we see when angels show up in Scripture is fear, bowing down, and even fainting, as Daniel did. Okay, so an angel comes, very powerful, has a mighty voice. The, the earth is lit by his glory. And he says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. This is Rome. There has been great benefit to this adulterous relationship between these kings and Rome. It's become a dwelling place for demons. There's such evil that it is a safe haven for evil. Uh, look at our world today. Look at our popular culture. 
look at the music. Now, I, I don't want to sound like this old guy that blushes at, at Elvis shaking his hips on Ed Sullivan or something, okay? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we glorify and celebrate um, and, and, and hold up celebrity um, and popularity for things that are not holy. We celebrate that which is evil sometimes. Um, that's the kind of world that we live in, and that's the kind of world they were living in, uh, where the evil was celebrated, and it was a part of daily life. Verse 4, And then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others. So, again, the idea that you're going to reap what you sow here. Mix a double portion uh, for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore, cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense. You thought I was going to say everything nice. No. Incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, slaves. That is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud, alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels, and with pearls, for in a single hour all this wealth has been laid to waste. And all the shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all who trade, uh, whose trade is on the sea stood far off and cried out, and they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their hands, or their heads rather, and wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city, where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth, for in a single hour she has been laid to waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down in violence and will be no more, and the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more, and the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more, and the light of the lamp will shine in you no more, and the voice of the bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery, and in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints, and of all who've been slain on earth. The great woman, the great city, a great empire is going to fall and be destroyed. And when it is, there's a lot of other things that are going to be destroyed with her. 
it's going to be monumental, catastrophic. It's going to hurl the world into a dark age, in a sense, and somewhat historically. But it's, it's going to be devastating to not only this Rome, the emperor, the empire, but all those who were loyal to this empire. They are all going to suffer. The gravy train is ending. And they are, they are going to be left in the dust, left in the suffering. I know I read large blocks there. I encourage you to go back and read chapter 18 because it is a description of the consequences of the fall of this great nation, once great nation, resulting in the sin, resulting from the sin that they had committed and that they had been engaged with. Chapter 19, we're going to rejoice over that. What are we rejoicing over? Death and destruction? Yeah, kind of. We'll talk about that. Chapter 19. Look forward to seeing you then.